Hello and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host, podcast producer, and sports writer for the LSJ, joined by free beat writer Chris Solari and LSJ sports columnist Graham Couch. Gentlemen, it is Thursday, June 11th, a lovely afternoon here. Uh, how are things going on your end? Surviving. Yeah, doing well. Things are good. Um, you know, I mean, it's uh, a strange and uh, turbulent times, and uh, but you know, it's uh, personally, it's it's not too bad. Well, I'm in a car, um, and that's uh, pretty interesting to be out and about in the world. But you know, it it, it is what it is right now, and I think we've kind of we're almost three months into all this, uh, and you know, people talk about a new norm and things like that. But as of right now, um, we're just all in limbo, and I think that's probably the hardest part. I think. We have in our business, not knowing what's going on with sports, but also in society because we don't know what's next or when to expect it to be a a change or back to normal. Yeah, this past week I've gotten back into the Uber Eats stuff, doing a little bit of food delivery and everything, and driving around campus. Oh, man. Uh, It's safe to say, I mean, this is the same as uh, uh, pre-isolation and that uh, uh, the students' interest in mask and general social distancing is is non-existent and we saw a pretty huge line outside of harper's on monday night when when the business when businesses were open back up <laughs> well I, I think this is all going to get interesting because and, and, you know and, and as we as we talk a little later in the podcast about you know college football i, I think one of the things that, i mean the, the coronavirus is not necessarily gone right it's it's and the numbers some places are a little little nerve-wracking and and yet it, it you've got these very important uh, this very important moment in, in, in our society right now with the, with the protests that are going on that I think, um, you know, obviously have merit that is worth the risk for a lot of people, but also is risky in the sense that, um, you know, the you're, you're going back to your house, your community, whatever. And I think we will know a lot more in a couple of weeks as we, you know, we continue to open these economies and the protests have been going on and, and we'll have a real sense of, um, whether we're going to be in the clear to get through this. Yeah. And on top of that, the, from the safety standpoint with kids coming back to campus as well, you're starting to see like at Alabama and Arkansas, some, some athletes testing positive. How will that affect how the rest of the country is going to go about bringing those kids back since the NCAA is allowing them to, to small workouts and how will that translate to bigger workouts that are needed? Uh, six weeks out from a season. Yeah, I hate to be so blasé about this, but it really just seems like America in general just kind of gave up on in terms of you know self care and you know looking out for everybody else when it comes to the coronavirus. I don't think everybody's there. I think people just you know, people got over and said you know we're just over this. The, the, the problem is you know the initial idea was we were doing this to flatten the curve, and we were. Um, doing it to get our testing and contact tracing in order. And we did one of those things. We flattened the curve for the time being. But at the federal level, uh, the, the two things we needed to do were not a priority. And so what else is there to do at this point but make your own decisions about being careful and, um, you know, and, and whether you want to go out, who else is in your life that's vulnerable. And uh, because we, we, we flattened the curve. We did that much. And that is it, though, because we – we, we chose not to do the other things that, that we needed to do. And, and so we'll see what, what ultimately happens. I would, I would caution this, though, to people that think, well, if you're, you're scared, stay home. 
Um, and, and I, you know, I, I'm not ready to go back in restaurants yet, but I would say this, that if you're, it is, it's going to take the entire population to really re-engage the economy. It's the people like myself and a lot of other people, it, it, you know, so if you, you know, if, if, if we don't feel safe because other people aren't taking precautions, if we don't feel like we can be in a restaurant, if we don't feel like we can do then then things aren't going to go well. So I, I still think people need to be careful about respecting everybody around them. And uh, I, I, yeah, I don't get why wearing a mask in a public place is such an inconvenience for everybody. And from a football standpoint as well, wearing a mask, how does that translate with these guys uh, who are already wearing face masks? There's, there's obviously some physical issues with that. But I think another big thing, and it kind of dovetails on what we're going to talk about next, um, how are the athletes feeling about this? Because you're talking about, especially at, at the FBS level, there's 8,000 players or so last year, and 46% of them were black. And the black population right now is one of the most susceptible uh, to the virus. So how, how are those athletes feeling and in particular, the, the athletes of color? Yeah. And I want to stress that the give up comment I made earlier, I felt like the nation had kind of given up on us all before everything that's happened in the past two weeks. And I think what's happened in the past two weeks is only amplified. And of course I'm speaking about the, the George Floyd murder and then the following protest and the black lives matter movement. That's really kind of taken over the United States and and we're living in such an unprecedented time because it actually feels like everything that's happened in the past week, plus with these protests and everything, are working. They are creating major change here in the United States. And we have seen a lot of people, athletes from all, all over the United States and the world speak out about it. And in Michigan State here as well with, with Mel Tucker and you know Antoine Simmons and, and Tom Izzo, too, have all kind of spoken out about this. I mean, there's been other Michigan State athletes I've talked about, too, like Josh Butler, for example, I think went to protest in both Dallas and here. So, you know, he's been all over the place. It just seems like we are on the precipice of a huge change here. How, how are you guys kind of taking that in? Well, I think the voices are being heard. I think that's been the biggest thing. And I think even back to the Colin Kaepernick thing in 2016, um, that was a situation that in large part with leagues and, and colleges was dismissed. I mean, there were protests um, with MSU athletes, if you remember, in the fall of 2016, uh, at least one game and then it, a number of black players with their fists raised. And then it slowly dissipated. I thought Mark D'Antonio at that point had issued a pretty strong statement about that uh, all the way back then. Uh, but then it, it vanished as well. You know, we talk about how things are with the coronavirus. I think that in particular, that that movement at that point uh, beyond Colin Kaepernick kind of kind of died out and was in some ways around the country squelched, at, at, especially at the NFL level. But I think you're seeing these leaders now understand a lot more uh, and maybe it's the video of it and the, the horrific nature of, uh, of the George Floyd killing. Maybe it's, it's some of the other things that you're starting to see people looking, seeing the video, and then listening to what you know black athletes are saying. And I think black athletes and coaches and, and leaders in the country are doing a very good job of extrapolating that out of how that applies to everyday people. And you know, will it enact bigger change? I mean, much like the coronavirus, it's a wait and see thing with that. But there's certainly a number of people uh, who at every level right now who are doing a better job of listening to, to what people are saying in, uh, in the African-American community. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's I think, you know, when just talking to black leaders, they, they're always cautiously optimistic about what's 
change is going to happen because they've just seen some things before, but it feels different this time. Uh, we'll see what actually becomes tangible. You know, I mean, when you're out, you know, protest, you're seeing some places where like police department reform and it seems like it's happening. Um, you're seeing other, you know, I think these are all discussions that have to happen, happen in communities. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what actually, you know, the, the, the problem with change is change sometimes happens over generations. It has to happen in mindsets. Change in legislation is sometimes tedious. It, it's not it's not something that, you know, if you, if you scream to fund the police in, the, in an official, you, you may not get the satisfactory answer. And that because those are are things that, that have to be worked out in, in each community and what makes the most sense. And but I think what's happened is you have an intensity and, a, and a, a depth and a, a just a, a broad portion of our society that is, is joined this, that I'm hopeful that you'll see change. I'm hopeful that you'll see people in the, you know, I'm hoping black people will feel more represented. And the, the thing that, you know, that, that people like us never have to deal with, and I, I hear this all the time from people themselves and people who are parents, is just the fear when they're out there when their when their their kids go out to on a drive anywhere, when they see a cop and they worry they might be a few hour a few miles over the speed limit, there's an anxiety. They've been all had you know many of them have been through situations that where they're in the backs of police cars for really no reason, and uh, so I think there and, and and this is beyond that. This is systemic racism and the idea that this the, the public health. There, there's a lot of there's a lot of issues that, that, that maybe will become more on the tip of the tongue. And then the fact that you've seen th even things like the NFL and you're seeing cities understand that they have to react to this and deal with it, um, I think is good. I think you know, the, the, the question is, a month from now, where is the momentum? That's what, that's what gets interesting. But, I mean, doesn't it feel like there is still going to be this momentum in a month? I mean, I know we've seen other things kind of phase out in this era of lack of attention span, but it really feels like this this has some legs. Do you, do you not agree with that? Or I'll say this. After Sandy Hook, I don't necessarily have faith in any movement or thing being – that was the one where I thought something had happened that would create change, right? Something right. so awful. This, is, this, this was something where we saw somebody die over nine minutes – at the at the knee and indifference of Minneapolis police, and it's so awful that everybody it, it, you know if you have a soul you said that's not okay right you, you can't explain this one away and any which and and uh, it's I, I don't know to me this is a um, this this feels different but again do, do we have the attention span and there there are things that I you know that I, that I think there are. You know, I worry about like the the term to fund the police, which is cringe. I mean, it, it just yes, I, wish, I, I 100 percent agree with that. I wish somebody in Black Lives Matter early on in, in the organization had said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, that's not going to be the term," um, because what happens is in an area that we're divided. What the fund the police means for some people is completely eradicating police, but for a lot of people, it, it means reorganization, reappropriation of funds, um, demilitarization. It means a lot of things that that. Um, that aren't defund defund divides people as a word it it just yeah. it, and it 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 doesn't you don't need that it was a needless term and now it's the term people have used and i just i just think that i i worry about that a little bit you already see just from a political standpoint that being used um and i i think that was 
communication trips so many people up and things. And, and that was one where I don't know somebody somewhere needed to say that ain't going to be the slogan. I think yeah, that's those- I think that's the word they wanted. I think that's what I think that means exactly what they wanted it to mean. I mean, you see, you see enough people out there. Different people, though. It means different things to different people. Some people want it completely eradicated. Other people don't. And if you talk to to, to black leaders who are out there or black leaders in the community, they're, they're very divided on the levels they want and in their own community. You know, and, and um, you know, I mean, here in Lansing, for example, I, you know, I mean, we, we've been through some police reform in the 90s. Like if you're if you're a, a leader of a, a march in Lansing, you ought to know the name Lester Stone. Um, I'm not saying every marcher has to and what happened in the 90s and why that movement changed some things and what was changed within the department and where we are on that. And if you don't, uh, then you're, you're probably not the right, uh, you know, vehicle in that sense. For, for, for the... So what I mean is every community is different and these issues exist in every community. But there's there's I mean. Lansing, Michigan is not Baltimore. It is not Minneapolis. It's a big, small town with different issues. And it's got poverty. It's got race issues. It's got lots of things to address. It's got, you know, lots of things we need to get into. Um, but I, I just think that uh, defunding the police means different things to different people. And because of that, when people are asked, will you defund the police? They don't really know what you mean by that and, and the initial visceral reaction and maybe that if that was intentional then that's bad leadership it just is i mean in my in my opinion because ultimately what you don't never want to do i've been guilty of this in writing columns sometimes but i try to be very careful and especially if i'm writing uh columns that deal with different political factions you never want to turn off an audience before you have them you know in an age where we when, when we write a, a a headline how many people don't click on the story before they comment right you know it, it took me i had to look up Right away, I saw the first time I saw defunding the police. I was like, "Wait, wait a second, what is that?" And then I heard the chant, and I was like, "Okay." And then I looked it up, and oh, okay, this is what this is. A lot of people don't look that up, and if you're going to lead an organization and try and affect change, to me, those are things you need to be aware of. Yeah, and language matters. I mean, language matters um, from the people watching the movement um, who are not African American. Uh, language matters for people inside the movement to generate uh, interest, as you said, and, and understanding. I, I think that's the bigger thing. Listen to other people's language and also understand where your language is coming from. Because I do, I agree with you that defund is a is a heavily politicized word, um, and I don't necessarily know if that is what this is about. This is about, uh, as you said, reform. I think uh, demilitarization is a big thing, and and people at Michigan State over the the course of the last. 20 some years, you know, and watching some of the, the riots that have nothing to do with anything involving these movements, just watching the, the Duke riot in 99 and the Gunson Street riot in 97, um, they watched as police in, in East Lansing went from trying to fight people throwing bottles at them in 1997 to being in full riot gear by 1999. And if you go outside of Spartan Stadium the last few years, they've had some credible threats that they felt uh, that they they had the increased police presence. And you saw outside of Spartan Stadium, you saw heavily armed police in, with AK-47s outside the press box. You've seen uh, almost tank busting type units that, that they've had at the local level. Well, the big question is why? why? Why does the local police force need that? So 
in some ways it is it's a conversation that needs to be ongoing but i don't think defund is the right word you're right yeah i uh this is a very minor example i grew up in a small town of about 12,000 people about 99% white and you know i can't say what the munitions uh, numbers are there but i know at least when i was growing up and i'm pretty sure they still do have like multiple hummers for the for the police force and then that even that is an example of this feels excessive and unnecessary for for a small town where you know very little crime happens compared to you know many other cities i think the protest is you know these people ought to be at city council meetings they ought to be in the discussion they ought to be in, in you know protest is one avenue and it's an important avenue uh, because it's what it's what's driving the discussion right now, and it's, it's but it 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 has to then be willing to not the, the less exciting part is the four hour board meeting on a Monday night, and you know that's where the work often gets done. So that's got to start to be the next be the next phase, and um, and but but look, I, I think allowing I, I think the the way that. Um, Universities are uh, and and coaches and sport is realizing that to be on the right side of history here and and allowing you know athletes to, to speak out without uh, shying from them and to join them even if it's done for partly your own good like I mean I think a lot of these coaches they feel like they have to say something um, and uh, that doesn't mean it's not genuine I'm not saying that it's just but, but it's better that they are than they aren't. And it's, it's you know, what you're seeing at Iowa is really interesting. And, and, um, I, and Michigan, I, Michigan State's had that historically. I mean, people yeah. talk all about Duffy Doherty's uh, quest to integrate football and how many black players and players of color from Hawaii and other places that, that he recruited. But a lot of people try and, and I don't necessarily want to say minimize, but they forget about the, the sit-ins of the late 60s and early 70s and the walkouts with players in both basketball and football. Um, so the, and those are the athletes. These are, those are the forerunners to these modern athletes who, who do have a much keener awareness, I think, in, in, in a broad sense uh, of speaking out on racial issues um, because of a lot of those things that happened in the late 60s. And it's going to be interesting to me to see how these Michigan State athletes maybe take that torch from from a previous generation who tried to, to get that change uh, and take the, the change that Doherty had in terms of giving more opportunities to making those opportunities more equitable and, and really fitting within who they are and who their culture is. All right. Well, there's no good way to, to segue out of that, but we're going to try our best here. We're going to move on to some more Michigan State-related athletic endeavors, and we will start off here with Michigan State football, basketball, and volleyball players will return to campus on Monday. Uh, that's when voluntary workouts won't necessarily begin on Monday. That's when testing will begin, and you know players are allowed to move in and whatnot. I'll kind of hit a few of the highlights that were announced last week regarding some of the guidelines. Like every athlete and coach will go through cotton swab testing. If you have a negative test, you will be in isolation for one week. Or, and if you have a positive test, it's 10 days, and then you're retested. And if you're cleared, you can begin workouts, symptom and temperature checks daily, no locker rooms available. People will have to come to workouts dressed and ready to go and just kind of, you know, leave in their clothes as soon as they're done, kind of like what we all did did in high school. And uh, yeah, at least from that perspective, those are some of, some of the major highlights. What were your guys' takeaways from Michigan State announcing that they were going to start start up uh, next week? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think they're they're doing everything they can to make this a safe experience for people and and to 
I mean, you look at what schools are going through, including Michigan State, and it, it's, it's well thought out. It's, you know, they're trying to get back to what they hope is a um, an opportunity to play sports and, and to have their student athletes play in a safe environment. And, and you know, we're, we're going to find out. You are seeing some cases around the country where people are testing positive and, and uh, how prevalent that is. Because uh, we, we really don't know right now just how prevalent the virus is in our community. And and how much that affects things, but I think I think when you when you look at the the plan, the plan seems smart and well thought. And um, you know, is Chris Rowe? I mean, you know, Michigan State has a president right now who's an infectious disease expert, right? This is his thing, and and um, that's that's good to um, it's good to have right now. And I, I just think there's a lot of people who care a lot who are trying to make this work and do it right and plan a million different ways. And um, so if it doesn't work, I don't think it'll be for lack of effort. Um, but I think they know and everybody knows you have to be flexible. If, if something, if this doesn't work, if this goes wrong, you got to be willing to scrap. And we, you know, the, the, what, I, what I fear is because of how we re reopened about how still have not tested the levels and contact trace the levels we should. I, I, I do fear that, that we could, you know, wind up shutting this all down in August. It's something, you know, we just get to a level where this doesn't work. But I don't think it'll be the athletes coming back to school that drives that. I just don't. I, I think there will be a few examples where people test positive. I just don't think that's going to be the, the area where, I mean, the area where there's going to be issues is people out um, in, in major groups protesting or people uh, taking part in activities that, that in our old way of life without social distancing. These are the things that are going to, I think lead to more spread. Yeah, and you know, obviously, you know, Phil mentioned about the the locker rooms not being open. That that can work in small groups right now. Um, obviously, when you start getting equipment and you start having all those things, they're going to need to be there. How is that going to be sanitized on a daily basis? Um, how are they going to clean the locker rooms on a daily basis? How how are the athletes going to coexist in those locker rooms on a daily basis? Because I mean, that's part of the culture. I mean, I, I, I mentioned this previously, but uh, I know someone on the NCAA committee uh, who's a, an infectious disease specialist at Johns Hopkins. And that was one of the things that he brought up it, to me when we talked last is, you know, you talk about the locker room culture in sports. Um, it, it's close contact. It's sweat, bodily fluids, everything that, that you've got. Um, just the nature of the sports being put in a, a small in small environment comparatively with, you know, not great ventilation and all the things that, that can lead to the transmission. I mean, a, a mask going to really do the trick in that setting. I, I don't know. I mean, and I don't think that they know. And I think that's the, the important thing to, to understand is the, the researchers are still finding out a lot more about the virus. They don't know a lot. And, you know, as you find out, I mean, there, there's, there's the possibility that, even though those cases are spiking now, maybe it goes away. We still don't know if that's going to be a, a possibility. It could intensify as well. I think those there's between now and three months from now, when they're supposed to kick off the season, um, you know, there's going to be a, a, a line in the sand moment where colleges are going to have to decide, is this worth putting our athletes at risk? Um, is the risk going to, to affect the general population far beyond just the dollars and cents of playing college sports. Moving on, we also learned last week that 
Bill Beekman seems to be pretty confident that the college football season will take place as scheduled, and that includes Michigan State schedule, who are scheduled to start the season September 5th versus Northwestern. Do you guys think the college football season is actually going to go on as planned, not just for Michigan State, but for everybody on the whole? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, they're, they, they're going to try to get football in, right? I mean, that's just – they have to. They have to for the athletic departments to survive um, across the country, and especially at – non-power five schools um and uh if things keep going as they are now i think we'll have college football and we'll have some fans in the stadium and it'll be about 25 percent and that's about eighteen thousand spartan stadium and uh that'll be you know it'll it'll be a very different experience very different year um but there will be college football which i think we'll, we'll all be grateful for I'm not as sold on it uh, personally, just because I still think that there's a lot of hurdles still to, to cross and uh, in particular uh, of how things are going to go if a, a team or a player on a team or a couple players on a team test positive and say they've got a road game. Like, let's say that Michigan State on Wednesday has players test positive before going to BYU. How does that I mean, are you going to scrap the game altogether at that point? Um, are, are the, the opposing teams going to feel comfortable? I mean, there need, to me, there still needs to be some uniformity uh, across the, the FBS level with all the schools. Uh, I think that's, that's critical. And, and really, you know, to get to that point, to me, from where we're at right now, still seems like there's a lot that needs to go on. And I, I think that right now they're using this workout period in some ways as a trial. How, how, is it, how are these athletes going to be able to to avoid the virus and prevent uh, additional transmission? And then comes the part that we still don't know. How are they going to, to, to do that when they're in physical contact and hand-to-hand contact and face-to-face contact sometimes on the offensive line and with tackling and things like that? So I'm not as convinced that it will happen. I'm not saying it won't either, um, but I, I think that there's still – you know, if you've got a conference, if it's a conference by conference basis, what if the Big Ten says no and the SEC says yes or vice versa? Um, you know, what if what if the MAC says no and there are games on the Big Ten schedule that, that are going to be washed out? I, I still think there's a lot of things that remain to be seen before we can get to that point where I'm I'm saying that there's going to be kickoff. I, I think, you know, we talked about the, the language earlier. Uh, about the protests and defunding the police. I think we, we all need to be cautious about saying when the season is going to kick off and when the first game is and what is going to happen because it's still all in limbo to me. Yeah, I forgot to say when I was introducing the topic that Beekman also said he thought Spartan Stadium would be 20 to 30% full for those games. Now, uh, sort of going along the lines with you said, Chris, I could envision a scenario where there still is football games, but they decide to you know, decrease that 20 to 30% to, you know, basically zero, like we're seeing in European soccer leagues right now. And they just kind of settle and and settle may not be the word, but just settle in terms of we'll take the TV money and we'll just kind of, we have, we just have no choice but to take the losses with concessions and tickets and parking and whatnot. And and even to that though, I think that there's still things that need to be worked out. I mean, you're talking about what will end up being still a gathering of four to 500 people just to put on a game with no fans in the stands. I mean, you, you have the locker rooms that are there. You have uh, the TV people who work in close quarters and trucks. You have the elevators up and down. 
Um, there are a lot of things that are outside of just what happens on the field if you're going to put on a television broadcast that that come into play with this that you know you're seeing what you're i'm guessing they're taking cues from some of the sports that are going on the golf uh events that there have been the the mma events uh the the korean baseball and things like that they're kind of watching that in some ways and saying how does this work and how do we model this for football for the safest possible way if we do it yeah i mean uh... I tend to think that if 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 it's not safe to have 25% of your people in the stands, it's not safe to be playing football. And so I, I don't think you'll see it completely because it's not them going into a bubble like you're seeing in uh, you know with the with the MLS and NBA and, and NHL potentially. It's it's like them on campuses traveling to road games. And so if the virus is so prevalent that you can't have a socially distanced crowd and, and contactless concessions and all those things that they're trying to do, then you, you can't um, you can't play football. Now, that doesn't mean you won't have a week somewhere maybe during the season where there's a, a spike in a community or there's something that makes people think, you know, we're just not going to have fans this Saturday. You know, there may be something like that. I, I tend to think I don't think if if you're not in a position where you can have some fans in the stands, you're not in a position where you can be playing college football. And then the other thing that comes into play that we that tend to get ignored across the board is what's happening with the students. I mean, if the students aren't on campus, I think enough people have said that there's no way that they could justifiably have college football games on campus. If it's not safe for the general student populace, how can they do that? I think that's that's a component that's going into the leader's decision above the athletic directors. And that's, you know, I, I think I've said this before, but, you know, it's going to be a real test to who really is the power that controls college football. Is it the university presidents? Is it the athletic directors? Is it the TV networks? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, there's a, a lot of still to go with, you know, the student body thing will be a component of it. If, you know, I think their true plan is to have students back. Um, but, uh, if you could not, then again, I don't think you're in a position to play football. I think you have to be, uh, you know, you have to be able to have students back. It may be a different kind of semester. It may not be the full experience. But if you don't have some students back on campus and you can't have some fans in the stands, then to me, you really can't have any players on the field. And that's just because, you're again, this isn't a bubble situation. Right. And I think the other thing, too, and I, I, I got to give a lot of credit to the college administrators right now because they are staring in the face of huge losses. I mean, you see schools that are dropping sports right now uh, to try and make things work financially at, at the smaller conference level. Um, at, you know, the, the powers that be in conferences and in athletic departments are trying to navigate something that they've never had an experience with. And it's not like there's some older people that they can rely on who've gone through this. This is all being done on the fly like a lot of things right now and you know i think that they've at least expressed the the fact that there needs to be adaptability and and potential for change uh within the next few months um and i, I think that we all kind of need to understand that as well um and not just get caught up saying well i can't wait for college football to come back um and getting hopes up uh when it still isn't really at that point yet where it's it's a certainty Okay, one more football item before we move on to basketball. This week it was announced that Michigan State will play Central Michigan for three games 
coming up in the next 10 years in 2023, 2027, and 2030. Gentlemen, will we be alive for those games? Hope so in 2023. That's only three years away. I mean, I think Vegas has taken odds on me at least having my first heart attack before then. So, so we'll oh. see. <laughs> well, this is a time to change your life, Phil. Uh, that's, yeah, what, yeah, no. that's what this, this I, time I in, had, in society is for. I had, you, I had become the best Phil friend ever. I had three months to completely change my lifestyle, and then I did not do that any capacity whatsoever. You need to be the. You need to put the best friend in Phil. Best friend. I agree. I, mean, where what, was where what, was this three months ago? Had, what What do you mean you had three months to change your lifestyle? You are talking about quarantine? Yeah, I mean, just yeah. in terms during quarantine, I could have changed the way I ate. I could have just gotten healthier, and you know, maybe I mean, workouts obviously would have been to have been outside with mask if I was if I were going to do that. But you know, I did I did none of that. You don't need a mask to work out. <laughs> well, I mean, in the early days of. In the early days of the stay-at-home order, I think you I got one on for you. Everywhere. Here, here, I'm, I'm going to give you a little quarantine tip of how to how to eat healthier. Anytime you feel the urge that you need to eat something bad, put your mask on and then try. So just starve myself. There you go. <laughs> or you do twenty to push-ups. Right. To the to the point to the to your question on the schedule, though, the, the, you know, I mean, obviously, it's yeah, the, the, this is even a blip on in a, in a podcast speaks to the. Um, slow newsness of everything because they play central all the time. I do think, you know, and, and I don't know this from central standpoint. I, I find this more interesting from them. And when you look at the, 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 the payouts and all that stuff, I do wonder if schools like central, especially are, um, you, you know, when you're scheduling 10 years out with this, you know, and you're trying to get specific payouts on the books, I wonder if smaller schools around the country or smaller programs are trying to, uh, have contracts for money coming in that they might be able to borrow against if need be. And I don't know that. I'm just saying that, 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 that's one of the things that when you start, it strikes you that, I mean, those centrals in real trouble here. And I think a lot of schools like them are, and, um, it does not surprise me that they're trying to, uh, set themselves up in the, in the future. I think another thing too, is that, you know, they, they backed out of a game, uh, with Alabama, to set this up in 2023. Um, so, you know, from, from an athletic standpoint, long-term, they're looking at a three-game situation where they have just a bus trip rather than flying and everything else yeah. that cuts into their profits from the payout. And you're basically talking about uh, almost $5 million over the course of that that 10 years or seven years by the time the contract gets there um, that for a, an athletic department like that is, is a lifeblood. And, you know, for just a bus ride, uh, you know, the, the day before the game and some hotels. So, I mean, I think that's, that comes into play without question. Alabama let them out of the deal. Um, Alabama has no problems finding games. Um, they'll, they'll find someone uh, regionally. And I think, I think we're going to see maybe more of this. I think maybe one of the things that you'll see is more of those smaller schools uh, avoiding taking those long road trips, maybe from a health standpoint, maybe from a, a, a budgetary standpoint and, and staying local a little bit more. And, you know, kind of speaks back to Mark Hollis's celebrate the state series in some ways where, you know, both both the schools paying out and the schools that are getting the payout um, benefit from that by having things locally. And that's, I think, going to be an interesting thing to keep an eye on here in the next few years with some contracts. Um, will Michigan State uh, with a game like BYU, try and shuffle things around 
so they don't have to take a long road trip and stay a little closer to home because of of things that are transpiring right now. It, it remains to be seen. And in a school like you know, the difference between celebrate the state and this, and, and this, it's it's sort of interesting because you know that's the last financial crisis, right? And and the idea was, you know, within uh, a, you know a, a decade they were going to get to Central, Eastern, Western. But it was actually not a very good deal for Central and Eastern West. Now, back then, it was more the communities were hurting. The schools weren't in great shape either, but you were trying to, you know, help each other, help the communities just, you know. But it was the best deal in the world for Michigan State because it was a three-for-one, but the payouts to those schools was very little. And they won both those games. Eastern Michigan backed out of it, its home game. But this is different now. If you're Central Michigan— no way in hell you want Michigan State on your campus if you're going to get a lot less money out of the deal. And that's what happened with the previous deal. Is I, I, if I were Michigan State, I would be on a regular Celebrate the State series, a three-for-one package of schools like that because you just make so much more money. They were paying out you know, 300-some thousand instead of a million uh, to, in, in the return games. And, and um, I, I think, I think that, that makes this a little different now. There is a, a, a line-item issue that those schools have to meet um that uh that, that again when you talk about pulling out of alabama that's you know you're saving what 100 grand or more and in, and in, in, in 100 grand in travel that sent, i mean that, that's this type of stuff they're looking at right now and um it, it's a very different time for these schools sort of related sort of unrelated to that another way for these schools to save money i like i understand why they do this but maybe for home games you don't have to have your football players stay in the hotel together on the night before. That feels like that would, if you're doing that seven, eight times a year, feels like that that would, you know, cut out some of maybe financial issues as well. Yeah. I mean, you, you might, you might see that. You might see that in hoops too. You might see that in, uh, you know, you, you might see that in a lot of, a, a lot of, um, a lot of places and especially schools where, with real budgetary issues and the extent of those budgetary issues, we're not going to know. For a while, but you can say this. I mean, if all goes well, if all goes well, you're still losing three quarters of your gate for seven dates at Spartan yeah. Stadium. If you're still losing thirty million dollars, maybe. And you know, I, if all goes well, you're you're still in it a little bit, and uh, maybe you can trim some places. But yeah, so I think I think everything is on the table about being more efficient with what you do. Okay, let's move on to basketball here. Uh, first, I want to start with some recent NBA draft news because this will pertain to Xavier Tillman and Aaron Henry, who have recently declared for the draft. The NBA announced that the draft is currently scheduled for October 15th, which, of course, would be over a month into the beginning of the Michigan State school year. And then uh, players would have, so with the date on October 15th, Players will have until August 3rd or 10 days after the end of the NBA Combine, whichever date comes first, to decide what they want to do eligibility-wise. Once again, an August 3rd date is also really cutting it close to the beginning of the school year. How do you think those dates that were set by the NBA will kind of affect things for both Xavier Tillman and Aaron Henry? Chris? Yeah, that's exactly where I was going to go. Is You're talking about if they decide to go and they, they stretch it out all the way to the last possible moment, you're talking about a month for Tom Izzo to fill a few spots. Um you know, it's obviously a different time right now than maybe, say, a year ago or any of the other previous years with, with how everybody's kind of impacted by that. And, you know, who does he get in that short order is, is going to be a really interesting question, um, you know, particularly if some other guys uh, at the high school level 
like a, a, a Kareem Mane decide not to go into the draft and there's a scholarship available. Um, you know, that's it's going to be interesting, but I think it makes things more complicated. And to me, it reminds me a lot of how the old college baseball rules used to be, um, where guys could be drafted in June, but then they would have up until the first day of classes before they would report. The only difference is college baseball didn't start their season until the spring. Um, whereas college basketball starts right in the middle of that, that winter semester. Um, so you've got a much shorter window to try and get guys both on campus and then integrated to, to your program. So a lot of challenges, I think it'll be, but, um, from those two guys, I would think that, and this is just spitballing really more than anything. I, w- I would think that pretty soon they should probably have a better idea of what they want to do. I, I would be, it wouldn't surprise me if, if decisions were made around that 4th of July, um, because I think both of those guys respect Tom Izzo and I'm, and I'm sure he's also communicating to them what else is coming for the program. Yeah. I'm, I'm with, I'm with Chris on that. I mean, I mean, it may, they, they could drag it, but not, not till October 15th, you know, <laughs> um, because, you know, we haven't seen what the deadlines will be yet. Um, and you know, the combine and all that stuff, you know, cause certainly one of the elements that was interesting with the, the, the combine that had been put in place is that you could, if you were invited to the combine, and when undrafted, you could return to school, right? And obviously, that is a would be a weird thing now because if you weren't in school, it would be October fifteenth before you knew that. And uh, so, I think this is a, a different type of year where you want to be a little more sure about your NBA value. And for a guy like Aaron Henry, I just don't see how he's not back at MSU next year. Now, Tillman, who knows what he's hearing? Who knows where his head is on that? I, you know, but. Um, I, I agree with Chris that the idea that I think Tillman's uh, respect for uh, for the program, for what it means for his former teammates or teammates coming back, um, you know, I mean, because there may be guys in the program who uh, would have decisions to make if Tillman decided to return. And I'm not saying anybody's leaving. I'm just saying if you're a, another big guy and Tillman's coming back and you look at it and you see Joey Hauser's there. Tillman's there um you know do you want to fight for whatever minutes are left and maybe you do and maybe it's a great experience and you're, you've got a couple years left and you're willing to have a year like that and it's, it could be a great team I'm just saying those are those are all things that that you know to, to uh, I think Tillman would I'm not saying he, he's got to take care of himself first but I'm sure these are all things that uh that um are a little bit in consideration. And I think as well, on top of that decision, you know, what's the state of the NBA at that point? You know, as they inch closer to trying to get back on the court to finish off this season, uh, what's going to happen there? That'll probably play a big factor as well. Um, when would the next season begin for the NBA? Uh, you know, this, this limbo puts these kind of decisions in a very, very, for, for guys that are, you know, in their early 20s that are, that are considering making life-altering decisions of leaving school or not, um, it certainly puts them in, in a tough spot. I mean, you know, I mentioned about respecting what the athletic directors are going through with the unknown. So are these guys. I mean, and it's always an unknown anyways of the draft process. This just complicates it even more. All right, before we depart for the day, let's move on to our final item here, and that is Cruton. And this is regarding... Max Christie, a five-star shooting guard out of Rolling Meadows, Illinois. Uh, he is a 2021 shooting guard that who has been more or less linked to Duke for the longest time. However, 
we've had some interesting movement maybe in the past month or so and earlier this week some of those recruiting websites such as Corey, uh, Corey Evans at Rivals and Sean Shearer at 24-7 have turned in crystal ball predictions saying that he will ultimately pick MSU. Uh, have you guys had a, got a look at Max Christie, whether somehow in person or, you know, watched his highlights? And what are you kind of hearing about maybe if he's actually going to end up in East Lansing as part of that 2021 class with Pierre Brooks? You know, it'll be interesting, I think, to see. I mean, they obviously view Brooks as more of a uh, uh, a guy with the ball in his hand in some ways, um, which I think that, you know, if you get a shooting guard and wing like Christie, um, he's got that skill set. I mean, it's, he fits the geographic and, and just demands that Izzo's program likes to go after. Um, but the Duke Albatross is still there and, you know, it's going to be an interesting recruitment here, uh, for when, and if he decides soon, um, but I don't know, Graham. I mean, my thought is that, you know, I, I try not to the, the way things change and, and swirl in the recruiting world and until it's uh, uh, until you hear it, uh, there's a commitment. And then until you sign it, there's two different things there. And, and right now it's probably to me just, just going to be one of those battles. But I think he, he'd certainly fit in this program. Yeah. And I have no idea where, where his head is. I've not spoken to the kids, seen, seen the highlights, obviously a good player. Um, and, but that's the extent of my real uh knowledge of him and, and, and about him that 2021 class you know gets gets interesting because it's obviously the the potential Amani Bates class right if if yeah. um if he was to de- or, or reclassify right and and um so I mean there you know that, that that'll be an interesting watch um and to see if that's something he chooses to do I you know what I um and not to belittle the 2021 kids and a Bates obviously reclassifies it's a huge story but i i, I am when my level of give a damn about recruiting always goes to going into the next year i really yeah. find it because especially when i think they, they they have the potential next year to have depending on what tillman does but even if he doesn't come back uh to have a uh, just a fantastic team and a very intriguing team and, and how they you know what happens with joshua langford in terms of his health and his ability to return and uh, you know what they ultimately do with Rocket Watts, how they play the point guard position. There is a, a chance that it's an immensely talented team, um, but you know teams have to have chemistry and fit, and it has to all work. But there's a chance it's Hauser, Tillman, uh, you know Henry, Langford, Watts as your starting five, and you know just uh, on paper that's an unbelievable starting five. But that's a new point guard and Watts, right? And how did that all play out? That's the health of of, of, of Langford. And will he, you know, how many minutes a game is, is he playing? Um, and so that there are all sorts of questions, but just on paper and, and the idea that that is, is possible should be something that I think really, uh, until it, until somebody says they're not coming back, uh, excites Michigan State fans. Just quickly touch upon the 2021 class. I thought it was interesting that it's really seems to be focused on guard heavy, you know, with our, with Brooks already in and Jay Nakins heavily linked to them and maybe even, you know, obviously Max Christie as well. I think the only big guy that they've offered was Caleb first out of Fort Wayne and he's already committed to Purdue. So it's, it seems to be an emphasis on outside the perimeter for this class, at least at the moment, depending. And then that can change depending on whatever Bates does. All right. Any final thoughts before we check out of here for today? No, stay safe. Hopefully we're, you know, we'll probably what do another one of these. You're off for a couple weeks, and then, and then I'm off a little bit. I'll probably do one of these again in July, and maybe, you know, by the next time we do one of these, um, we'll be in a position where we just know a lot more about it, a lot more, and that'll be good. 
yeah, we've got vacations to take. That's that complicates things as well. So trying to shoehorn that in for if or whenever sports might come back, uh, you know, it's amazing how many things, little things like that get put into limbo with everything that's going on. But but thus we shall survive. And also uh, my last reminder is just be the best friend of Phil friend. As you can be. <laughs> Boy, what a perfect way to end this podcast for sure. All right. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Graham underscore Couch, at Chris Solari, at Phil underscore Friend, and LSJ Green White. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>